Thank you so much. Welcome. Let's put our hands together. Let's welcome everybody in all our Kingsgate centres and services. As we look at part four of this important series that we've entitled, Whatever You Do. Now that phrase, whatever you do, actually appears twice in Colossians chapter 3. The first you saw uh, just then on the video. Why don't we, wherever we're gathered in all our locations, let's read out this verse together or, um, out loud. So one, two, three. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's verse 17. And then let me read the second uh, appearance of this phrase in verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now, this little phrase, whatever you do, even as I've been preparing, has been kind of getting on the inside of me. I've actually been really challenged by it. Because you know what it means. Whatever you do means whatever you do. <laughs> and in word or deed, actually, is, is really phrase saying that it encompasses every area of our lives. I got particularly convicted recently while I was out in the garden doing one of my least favorite jobs, which is weeding. And I was there weeding, and what was worse was that the weeds had got stuck in the gravel and between the paving slabs. And even worse, it was my least favorite weed on planet Earth, dandelions. I hate those things. I'm quite convinced that dandelions cannot have been part of the original creation when work was good. I'm sure that dandelions must have come in as part of the fall to teach us that work is also hard. Any gardeners agree with me on that one? Anyway, so here I am. It's hot. I'm on my knees. I'm tugging away. I'm digging away at these stubborn dandelions. Can I have a bit of sympathy, please? Thank you. And, and here I am, and I get tempted suddenly to skimp. I start thinking, well, Karen won't notice anyway. <laughs> she probably would, by the way. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. I mean, it's better than when I started. And I look at a kind of a half-finished uh, job of half dandelions. <laughs> it's sort of, anyway, and, and, and then just as I'm thinking about skimping, a little, a little voice that I know is the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a condemning voice. It was a, uh, the convicting voice of my friend, the Holy Spirit, brought this little phrase to mind, whatever you do. And I thought, okay, Lord, I get it. This includes weeding. So I got my trowel out, went with vigor, down on my knees, attacked those jolly things. And um, we did a much better job as a result. And it, now, now I say all that to say this, that whatever you do includes the things I love doing and the things I don't like doing. Is that right? It includes every area of our lives. And if we look at um, Colossians chapter 3 and 4, it highlights that our Christianity is not a pick and mix kind of religion where I'll, I'll, I'll be on and off with God. I'll be on and off as a kingdom ambassador. No, to be a kingdom ambassador means that we are living for Jesus 24-7 in every area of our lives. And so as I studied the surrounding verses in Colossians 3 and 4, it struck me just how all-encompassing this whatever you do meant. So it starts in verse 12 of chapter 3. Paul starts by talking about the sphere of church, our spiritual family. He starts talking about how we're to live for Christ in the local church. Then from verse 18, 
He goes on, he talks about our natural families. He talks about relationships between wives and husbands and uh, children and parents. Then he goes on and talks about work. And then he goes on at the beginning of chapter 4 to talk about community. Now, I trust you'd agree with me that whatever you do encompasses church and family and work and community. Can we say those four things together? Church, family, work, and community. It's interesting if you study the text, just that as in similar kind of passage in Ephesians, Paul starts with the family of God, if you like, just as with our 2020 vision, very often God says, I want you to learn some stuff inside, in the house of God, and then I want you to go out, I know many people are not in Christian families, go out and live what you've learned on the inside, into your family, into your work, into the wider community. We want to be an inside-out people, amen, living for Jesus, not just pick and mix where we feel like it, but 24-7 in all spheres of our lives. Yeah, we want to live for him because he has won our hearts and rescued us. Um, Colossians is a beautiful little letter And at the heart of chapter 1 is this sense that Christ is supreme over all things. Everything was made through Jesus Christ and is for his glory. Uh, I love the way the 19th century Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper put it. He says this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! It all belongs to him. That means every part of my life, every activity, every sphere, everything I'm doing, I'm to live for his glory. Not because I'm trying to earn his favor. I can never do that. Because Christ has paid the ultimate price for me to be a child of God. Amen. But knowing that I'm loved and accepted by God, I want to live for his glory for the rest of my days and throughout all, uh, eternity. And what I want to introduce is, is a picture here of some steps. And the title I message um, uh, are taken from uh, a U.S. pastor, Louis Giglio. He, he just used the phrase, take the stairs. And I like that picture, take the stairs. In other words, life is not just like some kind of magic lift where we enter in at ground level, press a button, And then suddenly we go to the top and everything's fantastic and hunky-dory. We've got blessing and success and favor and promotion. How many know life doesn't normally work out like that? Rather, and in the context of this whatever you do, it's the idea of costly consistency where we just keep doing the right things by the Holy Spirit, prompted by him in line with his word. And as a result, we give God glory step by step by step. And as a result, very often, blessing and favor and breakthrough comes in our lives. So let's learn to take the stairs. There are five key attitudes or actions from Colossians 3 and 4. It's not an um, all, all-encompassing list, but there are five key things that I was studying I thought Paul wants to highlight here. How do we honor Jesus in everything? Number one, step one, do it with love. Say love. Now, I can be pretty brief on this because if you remember before Easter, we did a whole series entitled, This is Love from 1 Corinthians 13. But I think it's important that we start here. This is, you like, the foundational first step. If you and I want to glorify Jesus in everything, we have to live in love. Notice uh, what Paul talks about here. He introduces the idea of Christians, if you like, 
wearing a, what I call a spiritual uniform. I, d- I don't know whether you um, uh, are involved in work where you have to wear a uniform or a, you've got a particular dress code. I mean, obvious one, if you're a policeman, you know, on the beat, you, you'd wear a particular uniform. Maybe the certain things when you go to your office, the certain clothes or an outfit that's acceptable or not acceptable in your workplace. Now, the thing about a work context is normally when you come home or you come out of work, what do you do? You can take those clothes off and put something else on. You can take that uniform off. Well, what Paul is saying here and what in Colossians chapter 3 is that we now as Christians have a higher identity than our job, higher identity than any role in life, We have a beautiful new identity as the children of God. Listen to this. He says, therefore, verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Let me just pause there. Do you know that we are a chosen people? Thank you, the five of you. (laughs) We are a chosen people. We are holy and we are dearly loved by God. That's our new identity. And therefore, knowing this, and the more we know this, then it becomes naturally supernatural. If that's who we are, then we are to put on certain spiritual attitudes uh, and, and develop certain actions that are befitting of our new identity. So he goes on, he says, clothe yourself, therefore, with five things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How many think that that will glorify Jesus if we live that way? Then he goes on and he talks about bearing with one another, putting up with one another, um, forgiving one another. And then in verse 14 from the message translation, he brings the whole thing together and he says, regardless of what else you put on, just let's say these two words together, wear love. Regardless what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment, never be without it. Can I say never go out of the house? Never go into any scenario, Paul's saying, without wearing love. Pretty clear, isn't it? It's foundational. Why? Because God is love. If we are his people, we are going to increasingly learn to love one another and then let that love overflow into our families, our workplace, and the community. It's interesting that this teaching on love Once again, Paul starts with the family of God, with the church. It's almost like church can be a training ground for every other area of life. So when Paul says, wear love, and by the way, forgive one another, bear with one another in love, he's implying there that church is not just a place you come to, but it's a people we belong to. You see... There was no sense in the New Testament that you just came to a meeting and went again. No, you had to be in enough proximity and relationship with other Christians to know them well enough for them to annoy you in order for you to have to forgive them. You get that? So, so, if you, so let's be part of groups and serving teams and let's practice love. Let's wear love. And as we learn love, and in the words of our 2019 Uh, vision emphasis. Let's go deeper together in love. Let's build relationally together. Let's practice love in the house and then uh, we can take it into every sphere of our lives, into family, into work and into the wider community. We want to be an inside out people. Wherever we go, let's wear our uniform. Let's have our dress code. Let's be 24-7 dressed in love. Come on, let's thank God for that. Let's wear love. 
That's the first step. Do it with love. Second, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with gratitude. Do it with gratitude. I saw an article which listed seven benefits of gratitude. It says this, gratitude will make you more patient, improve your relationships, help you with your self-care, can even help you sleep, may stop you overeating, can ease depression and give you a happiness that lasts. I mean, you know, put it simply, we know, don't we, that if we get out of bed on the wrong side, as we sometimes say, and we go into our day grumbling and complaining, how many know our day's not likely to get any better as a result? But even though it's not necessary that circumstances will change there and then, something changes when you and I go into our day with an attitude of gratitude. We change, our perspective changes, and we can be the best that we can be in good times and in tough times, in spheres we love, in spheres we're challenged with. There's something about the power of gratitude. And Paul knows that, and so it's interesting that he actually... All through Colossians, starts giving exhortations to the people of God to be thankful or to be grateful. I was thinking about that. If it was automatic for us to be grateful all the time, the New Testament wouldn't need to tell us to be thankful. I mean, it's easier to be thankful when everything's fantastic, isn't it? But Paul doesn't say, um, be thankful when everything's fantastic. He says, be thankful to God in all things. Not for all things, but in all things, because he's good and he's faithful and he's true all the time. All the time. All the time. And so just in three verses, verse 15 to 17, he basically says the same thing about thanksgiving three times. If we didn't get it the first time, he says it the second time, he says it the third time. Listen to this. He says, verse 15, and be thankful, singing to God with thanksgiving. Now, both of those verses there, the implication is that the be thankful is in the context of what we would call um, Collective worship, a worship environment, could be in our context on a, one of our uh, Kingsgate uh, weekend services in a small group, maybe in a prayer meeting. So why does Paul start there? Again, he's starting on the inside. We are the temple of God, the house of God. I don't know how much you and I value, but let me just remind us to value our coming together because... When we gather together, let me just take our weekend services. We're saying at the start of our week, no matter where we're at, we're almost like aligning our lives afresh and saying, good times, bad times, sunshine, rain, we're going to say, Jesus Christ, you are worthy of our best. And not only do we glorify God, but we get aligned, ready for everything else in life. Amen? That's why we gather. Something happens in us. But of course, worship and thanksgiving doesn't just begin and end when we leave our meetings, when we leave our groups, does it? Because if you look at verse 17, which we've already read, let, let me just remind, remind you, it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And what's the immediate next thing that he emphasizes? Giving thanks. So if we're going to do all that we need to do to honor Jesus in word and deed, central to it is going to be this, isn't it? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So can I encourage us? Let's develop and cultivate thanksgiving in our lives. For me, it starts like I'm sure many of us with spending time with Jesus every morning in the word and prayer. But I've also learned that that's, that's foundational, but stuff can happen in a day that can somehow rob me of my 
um, desire to, to give thanksgiving? Anyone else? How many know that you can start your day good and you need to, but things can happen, maybe tough meetings, tough situations. And so I've learned the, the practice of not just praying, not just giving thanks in the morning, but punctuating my day with little thanksgiving breaks. You say, well, what do I thank God for? Well, you can thank him for who he is. Thank him that he's the creator. Psalm 150 verse 6, I was reading this morning, it says, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. He's worthy. If you can't think of anything else to thank him for, thank him that you're alive. Thank him for Jesus. Thank you for his salvation. Thank you that you've got an eternal hope and a future. Thank him for his Holy Spirit. But I also like to thank God for little practical things. Just stuff for food and sleep and relationships and family. And just watch how there's a sense of the, the witness of the Spirit. God gets pleased and glorified, but something changes in you when you adopt an attitude of thanksgiving. So step one, if we're going to honor Jesus in everything, we, we need to um, live in love, wear love, do in love. We need to live in gratitude. Third step is this. Whatever you do, do it with integrity. That's a great word, integrity. Now, when you hear the word integrity, what do you think? I think many of us might think of a word like honesty, and that's true. But actually, the word integrity or integrus comes from the Latin integer, which we would translate as whole, something that's whole. Let, let, let me unpack this for us. If I'm going to live in integrity, it means I'm not one person here, and then I'm a different person out there. There's a sense of inconsistency. I'm not one person in public and I'm one person in private. There's an integrity, there's a wholeness, there's a consistency about my life. How many don't want to be sort of, uh, living a sort of spiritually schizophrenic life? You know, and you're just having to put stuff on for certain things. No, God wants to do a deep work of releasing his love and freedom so that we can be integrous wherever we are. It doesn't mean we're perfect and we've arrived, but there's something of a consistency about our lives. You don't have to put stuff on for people, amen, because who we are, we often say, you know, what you see is what you get, amen. There's a consistency, there's an integrity. Now, one of my favorite examples of integrity is one of my favorite Bible characters, many of you know, is Joseph in the Old Testament. Um, Here's a guy who this verse in Colossians 3.22 really applied to. Listen to what it says in Colossians 3 verse 22. It says, Obey your master in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you. In other words, don't just be a blessing at work when people are watching. But do what you do with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Why? Because ultimately, who's your boss? Jesus. It's an oft-used phrase, but I think it's a wonderful one. You and I as Christians, we, we need to be living our lives not for whether people are looking or we want to bless people. We're not living for them. We're living for an audience of one. doesn't matter whether people are looking or not. What matters is we have a God in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We live for his glory, whatever we do, in whatever sphere. And Joseph is a great example of this. You see, he was a slave in a really tough, tough culture. 
the ancient Egypt. In fact, he's away from his own, away from his home. He's been sold into slavery. He's kind of like a refugee. Nobody knows him. And yet, wherever you see Joseph, there's a trustworthiness and there's integrity about him that his, his, his boss, if you like, uh, Potiphar, really tough kind of guy I'm sure to work for, says there's something about this Hebrew slave that's trustworthy. I'm going to put him in charge of my whole house. Don't you just love that? How many of you love that to be just, and I know that is, but more and more people looking at uh, kingdom ambassadors, Kingsgate members, and say there's something about you, there's something about that person that is trustworthy, that is integrous. I can, I can entrust you with more responsibility. So here he is, he's in charge of his master's house, he's living for an audience of one, and then he gets a massive attack on his integrity. Potiphar's wife, who I call Mrs. Potiphar, takes a fancy to him, and basically she goes at him, full-blown seduction. Uh, But there's nothing subtle about this, this is what she says to him. She says, come to bed with me, how many know that's not subtle at all? And as often with temptation, she doesn't say it once. She came at him trying to seduce him day after day. In other words, it was insistent. It was full on. But I love Joseph's response. It doesn't say he wasn't tempted. We don't know anything about what he felt about it. What we do know is he made a choice. Say a choice. If you like, he'd already drawn his red lines that he was going to honor God no matter what, even in this ungodly culture, even serving a tough boss, he was going to please God because that mattered to him more than anything else. And so I love it. It says in Genesis um, 39 verse 7, it says, but he refused. That's, That's a choice word. That's a decision of your will. He made a choice. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns as he has entrusted to my care. Notice there, he's, he's wanting to honor Potiphar, this ungodly guy. He's saying, you know, and I want to honor this guy. He's entrusted a lot to me. And then he says to, um, to Miss Potiphar, how then, I love this, could I do such a wicked thing that you're asking me to do and sin against God? Ultimately, who's he living for? He's living for the audience of one. He says, I'm not going to tolerate what you're asking me to do. And it says, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to to bed with her or even to be with her. He wasn't messing with it. There were no kind of gray and, oh, well, you know, everybody's doing it. No, he's made a decision. He's not compromising. He's not messing about at all. So much so that one day she comes to him, grabs him, and it says he ran out of the house. Now, sometimes when it comes to temptation, you know, people can get a bit over-spiritual about it. Well, I'm praying about it. I'm like, well, you can pray about it all you like. Good to pray. But while you're praying, make sure you run. (laughs) Flee temptation, Paul says in in, in another one of his letters. Flee it. Run, run, run. Get away. Joseph doesn't compromise. He runs. He's a man of God. Can I say, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, he doesn't have a small group. <laughs> he doesn't have an accountability partner. He's the only believer in the whole, the, whole, the whole place. And yet he stands strong as a man of integrity. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? Maybe right now that you're facing an onslaught on your integrity. Maybe there's a a real person, a a Mrs. Potiphar, male or female, 
and, and you're getting too close or they're getting too close, can I say, don't compromise about it. Draw your red lines. Be super clear. Don't mess with it. Maybe there's an online kind of thing trying to draw you in. Don't let that poison into your heart and your mind and into your house. Be radical. Do something. Get some account of Make some choices. In Jesus' name, say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor Jesus. I'm going to be a person of integrity. Maybe in other areas. This is just one example of sexual temptation. Maybe in that whole area of finances. Maybe you're being faced with an, with an opportunity to dishonor God. Say, like Joseph, I'm going to choose to live for Jesus and put him first in everything. Amen? So whatever you do, do it with integrity. So we've got three steps. Love. We've got gratitude. We've got integrity. Fourth step. Whatever you do, do it with... Let's say this enthusiastically. Enthusiasm. What a great word. Enthusiasm. You might right now be in a situation or a season where naturally it's not great. And let me just say as a rider, obviously, the more if we have the opportunity to align our gifts and our talents according to our, how God's wires and passions, be it in church or work, that's amazing. <laughs> But sometimes we are, we are in situations where not everything is ideal. And Paul's writing here to slaves. He isn't endorsing slavery. That's another whole thing I could explain another time. But he is actually saying in that context where they're at, he's, he's, he's saying to these people in a really tough scenario, like Joseph, he's saying whatever you do, do it with enthusiasm. Look how he puts it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. That's with enthusiasm. As Why? Not because it's easy. Because you're what? Living for an audience of one. Because you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. Can I say that is so liberating? It means that we're not thinking about whether what we're in is important. We're thinking about who we're serving. He's always important. Brings a consistency. I don't know about you. I love the story we heard about one of our Kingsgate ambassadors, Chris. Uh, working at McDonald's, just being a blessing to those around him. And I know that that story could be repeated time and time again. Amazing Kingsgate Kingdom ambassadors serving the Lord in, 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 your, in your place of work. Let, let, let me say to you, let me encourage you, even if it's work's challenging right now, clothe yourself as, as you go into your work and say, I'm going to bring my best because I'm a kingdom ambassador. I'm going to do my best because ultimately I'm working for Jesus. And then don't just serve well at work. Make sure you bring your best into your family because we're not to compartmentalize. We're to bring our best in all things and then bring your best into the local church. Uh, I had just a, such a fun conversation uh, with one of our um, amazing kingdom servants here in Kingsgate, Peterborough. And I was out there talking to a guy who, who does the minibus run. And I, 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 I talked to him and I said, so what time do you start this morning? He said, half past seven. He had a smile all over his face. I said, where have you been? He said, oh, I've just been down to the south of the city, picked a whole bunch of people. He'd come back. And he said, I'm just getting ready to go out and I'm going to the north of the city to pick up a load of people. And I said, thank you. And he said, oh, people thank me. He says, but my attitude is this. Worship experience on a Sunday starts when people get on the minibus. 
He says, I put on some worship music. And you can just see, he's not just there, oh, I've got to get up early and do a minibus run. He's like, I want to bless Jesus. I want to bless people. I want to bring my best to what I'm doing. And I know that's, that, that's the case right across the house. But let me encourage you, if you're not involved in bringing your best into the house, join a team, get involved. You're on a team, honor Jesus by being on time, honor your rota, honor the person um, who, who's, who's your team leader. You say, yeah, but sometimes people are difficult and a bit awkward. Well, serve Jesus anyway and bless people. Amen. Let's cultivate, let's keep sowing into this excellence, not perfection, an excellence that honors Jesus and blesses people. Let's do whatever we do with enthusiasm. And then the final step, if you like, is, is related to overflowing into the wider community. This is the context. Fifth thing that we're to do is whatever you do, do it with wisdom. Do you know there's something very powerful and attractive about wisdom? when we operate in wisdom. So Paul here says in uh, chapter 4, verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. There's something about living for God in the community and with people who don't know the Lord. If you go back to Joseph, it was the wisdom of God on him that actually meant that wherever he went, first Potiphar, then the the, the, the prison warden, then Pharaoh, they said, there's wisdom on that guy. We've just got to keep giving him more responsibility. Now, there's lots we could say about wisdom. I could do a whole mini-series right now on wisdom. We have done a series in the past. But, but just for now, Paul picks up two things. How are we to be wise? Number one, make the most of every opportunity. I believe in rest and Sabbath and not over... Reving, but I also believe we need to have an attitude to life, which is this. We only get one life. We get each day, we get 24 hours. We want to make the most of the time and the talents and the energy that God has given us to honor Him and to be a blessing to people around us. So let's be good stewards. Let, let's look for opportunities. And I think Paul's particularly thinking about blessing people in Jesus' name and sharing the gospel. Can I say, if you live the way we've just been talking about, you're going to find opportunities to bless people in word and deed. You know, in this summer season, let's, let's be proactive and let's think about how can we bless people wherever we are. And then, and then finally, Paul says this, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Do you know God wants our words to be pure and our words to be true, and our words to be life-giving. And then when we get opportunities, let's share the gospel with wisdom and with grace in Jesus' name. Now, these five things, these five steps, we're not earning God's favor. We are actually already under his favor, but we're honoring him. And we should do these things because it's the right thing to do. But interestingly, Paul doesn't leave it there because he gives us an added motivation in verse 24. He says, when you live this way for an audience of one, listen to this, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. How many like rewards? I, I, I sure do. And, and so there, there are a number of rewards that we could unpack, but I just want to briefly talk about three. Firstly, I believe there's an internal reward. Whether it be doing a job like weeding, or leading, or preaching, or 
being a blessing to my family. I don't know about you, there's something I love that when I put my head on the pillow, there's something about that internal reward that just is sustaining where it's like there's a well done from the Lord himself. Isn't that amazing? When you just know there's something beautiful about walking in harmony with our God. I, I love the um, words of Eric Liddell, the, the hero of the film uh, Chariots of Fire. He says this, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. There's something just beautiful when we know we're using what God has given us to bless people and to glorify God. So I believe there's an internal reward. Secondly, I also believe there are times and seasons when there's what I call an earthly reward, when promotion comes. Happened for Joseph. He went from being a slave to a prisoner to a prime minister. How many think that's a pretty dramatic promotion? And I know that many of you have experienced and will experience promotion. And one of our great kingdom ambassadors is a guy called Frannick. He also plays in the worship team. And just watch this story of how God has blessed him as he sought to be a kingdom ambassador in his workplace. Please watch this. Hi, my name's Frannick. Uh, I'm a local boy that is one of five children. I wanted to go to university, but unfortunately it was too expensive, so I decided to get a job. And the job I got was in the agri-food sector, and that was as laboratory assistant. When I started my job, it was really simple tasks like counting peas, weighing them, and other grains, wheat and barley. And over a number of years, I developed my craft and was promoted, and now I'm responsible for all of the food products on the site, um, 17 million pounds worth of sales, more than 50,000 tonnes worth of products that are shipped to more than 50 countries around the world. I've been a Christian since I was a little boy, and God has taught me that humility, loyalty, trust, and integrity are an important part of my person, my core. And I've brought that into the workplace. My colleagues respect it. My customers and my suppliers really respect it. It's such an important part of being a Christian, and bringing that into the workplace has really brought a sense of fresh air into our business. So in the early years, I, I really struggled in the workplace. I had a difficult boss, and I felt like I was really downtrodden, not valued at all, had no self-worth. So I leant on God and put my trust into him, and he really, really valued me. And I felt that that was so important to my progression. It allowed me to push through and really persevere. After working here for a number of years, I started to get job offers from other firms for better perks, more money. One job I really, really took seriously and I prayed about it and God, he told me that I should stay. And for me, that was a really difficult decision because of what I was being offered. I really wanted to testify today to say that it was the right decision. God really rewarded me for my trust in him. I now get paid more than I would have done if I'd moved over to that job. I have better working conditions. I have more responsibility and it's about living the godly life and putting your faith into him and not doing it your own way. Putting your trust in God is just so, so important. Being a kingdom ambassador in the workplace starts the minute I get in my car in the morning. I pray to God to allow me to represent him as well as I can. When I get to work, it's about doing my job to the best of my abilities. God has shown me so much favor since I've been here. My responsibility is more than I could have ever imagined. It's truly been incredible. Um, his favour has been on me ever since I started here. What a great testament, a kind of summary of what I've been looking at. So there's an internal reward, a sense of well done from God. There's a, sometimes earthly rewards like we've heard there. But I believe when Paul talked about 
um, an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. He was most likely actually talking about our ultimate and final inheritance when we meet Jesus face to face. You know, there's times in life when we don't experience everything that we wish for, when promotion doesn't always come like we're expecting. But I believe God wants us, and the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, wants us to take an eternal perspective on everything we do. You see, if we keep taking the stairs of love, of gratitude, of integrity, of enthusiasm and wisdom. Not only will we know, yeah, I was born for this, we can be guaranteed every tough choice we make, every decision to obey and honor God and bless people is not just going to help us in this life, but it's got an eternal reward. And when we see him face to face and we hear his well down and, we, and we, we, we're living for eternity in the kingdom of God that is to come, we're going to say, it was all worth it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for the call that you have on our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we are saved by grace. You've given us your Holy Spirit. We want to do these verses, Lord. We want to honor you in every part of our lives in word and deed. We ask that you'd forgive us for where we've fallen short. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God of new beginnings. Thank you for many of us who say, okay, I'm going to press restart and ask Jesus to cleanse me. And then, Lord, you're going to empower us by your Holy Spirit and help us honor you in every part of our lives. Strengthen us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good?